there's a few emails where she was using that logo stack that we'd created as her email signature, but then in the email was saying, I don't approve this work. We're not actually using this mm. work. I mean, I mean, that's absurd in the extreme. I mean, I think the, f- the very fact that she was using it is acceptance in itself. Welcome to The Pinch, where we share real stories of businesses navigating the ever-changing legal environment and learn how you can leverage the law to avoid landing up in a legal pinch of your own. Because when it comes to the law and business, you don't know you're in a pinch until it's too late. Welcome back to The Pinch. In this episode... We're going to be talking about business and legal fuck-ups. We have a few guests with us today, but we're going to be starting off with Ross Drakes, who is the founding member of NiceWork. Hi, Ross. Hello. Hey. And Luce. Hi. Hi. So, Ross, what was your legal fuck-up? Well, I suppose at its, at its core, it's one of the, uh, the, the biggest challenges that, that creative companies face, which is when people take your work and they use it but then they they don't pay for it because they dispute a small portion of it or they say they didn't get out what they they wanted yet they still actually use the kind of creativity um and i think it's it's something that's true to most people who sell kind of services that people can use the service and consume the service but they're not actually pay for it or, or remunerate you for the work that you've done yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about IP, stuff that you actually own because you've created for them and um, the client hasn't yet paid for it, so it doesn't yet belong to them. It should still belong to you and you should be able to withdraw it wherever possible so that payment is definitely Yeah. And I think one of the, the challenges we face with this stuff is the way we work at Nice Work is we try and treat all of our clients like partners. So we don't do things like withhold work until payments has been done. Mm. We, we deliver everything. We do it on kind of an honor, on honor basis. And this is one occasion when we are kind of burnt quite badly for a fairly large sum of money. Um, and, and what makes this even more complicated is there's also costs that we've incurred on their behalf, which you know, we now kind of sit mm. with um, you know, and, and not having got any money. I mean, it was an interesting challenge because it was part new service so we launched a new set of kind of workshops or strategy workshops and we hadn't gotten very very good at making it very clear what people were getting out the other side Mm. Um, and that was bundled with a rename and a rebrand so we worked on all of that work for for a long period of time Um, there were ups and downs like on any projects but in the end of the day we delivered what we believe is an amazing piece of work and the client, when we sent our final invoice, was they basically said, oh, we dispute this piece and this piece and therefore are not settling the bill at all. Um, and yet, if you go onto their site today, they're still using all of the work we created for them. Oh, wow. So they disputed it, but they didn't dispute it enough to not actually to kind not of use, use it. it. And I think it was also through the process, it's not like they were re- rejecting the work as we were going. They were quite happy as we were going, but then it was only at the the kind of end when we said that we weren't going to make any more changes and we were done that they neglected to um, finish the invoice. Mm. So, so looking back over that, um, what, what do you feel that you could have possibly done differently um, to ensure that you got payment at certain milestones? Well, I mean, I think we fucked up many things along the way. I think the first one is a lot of the agreements, the initial agreements were done either on phone or in meetings 
and then weren't put into kind of emails. Mm. Yeah. So there's portions of the agreement that are in writing and there's portions that are not. And there were agreements and concessions that were made all along the way that happened on the phone and not, not on a, a written paper trail, which is a bit of a problem. And I also think that our terms and conditions on our, our quotes could have been much stronger. I mean, we do have terms there, but I think when you looked at them, you said they were shocking and <laughs> should probably be improved. Yeah, I think there's always room for improvement, but I think something that we see as being pervasive in the industry is a lack of agreements being concluded because there is often this um, an honour kind of, I want to say, concept. Uh, and also, uh, this won't happen, it won't happen to me kind of a syndrome. And we like all our clients and it's happened to us, it's happened to, I think, most people that are in the service industry. Um, and I, I think in your industry in particular, uh, people shy away from wanting to conclude the contract because they feel like it's a very legalistic, lot of pages, writing. You don't really want to go to this client that you're forming a relationship with um, and bomb them with some massive legal agreement because uh, it could be off-putting. So I think people really have been reluctant to do that. And unfortunately, sometimes it unravels not in your favor, like in this instance. And what we have found with our clients specifically in this industry is to make sure that the terms and conditions that you've got on your CE quotes or uh, link it up to your website are strong enough to cover you in any situation. So no matter what happens, whether you conclude an agreement with your client or not, you're covered with your basis and that your bottom line isn't dipped into. I mean, do you think from a from like in a situation like this where someone hasn't actually paid for the all the services um who owns that like who sits with the ownership of that work because in the end of the day we've handed over files digitally and they've actually got the logo and they've got the the website design and they've got all the copy and they're using it but they haven't kind of paid us for it like is, does that still sit with us or does it yeah. sit with the client Stric strictly speaking the IP sits with you because you were the author of it and until such time as you pass it over it belongs to you and generally that passing over happens when payment is made um, so strictly speaking the IP sits with you so the fact that they're using it without having paid for it is actually theft yeah oh who do we have at the door hello voice of reason hi everyone hi um, what legal recourse do you, or does Ross have in this case? Because uh, clearly it's theft. So if he doesn't have a contract, or effectively another way to say it is not having your house in order, I guess, mm. for whatever reason, now the client's sitting with work that they don't effectively own, it's legally theft. So what recourse does he have from a legal perspective? So unfortunately, this is the kind of thing that is a dispute that will end up either in the courts or in the in arbitration. So it is a costly affair to either litigate through our courts or to arbitrate. Arbitration is much quicker. Um, but, but it can be costly. more expensive. Yeah. Um, and our court process, unfortunately, is dilatory and it doesn't always work in one's favour. So you can't always get away from it because even if you had a watertight contract doesn't mean another party is not going to renege on their obligations in terms of the contract. Um, it just, I guess, what we're always saying is prevention is better than cure and it would be better to have your terms locked in from the, from the beginning and oh, maybe in your case specifically we could look at milestone payments just to give you some cover that I think Lucy mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, so just to protect you a bit further. But unfortunately, the reality of any dispute isn't pretty. Yeah. And, and the benefit of having a, a, 
agreement or terms and conditions that are watertight before is people are, what we have seen in our experience, people are less likely to renege on certain obligations if, if you can point it out to them in an agreement. They signed it or they didn't sign it, but they acknowledged that those were the terms and conditions if they were going to engage with you. It's then a different type of person that looks at a term and says, I don't care what it says, I'm not going to pay. Whereas when there's nothing in writing, they can still feel justified. Um, well, that wasn't what is agreed. I, I, they don't deserve payment. So we've just found that if, it is, if it's in writing, you can point it out to them, people are far less likely to mm. renege. And what happens in a situation, so they're not disputing that we didn't deliver the work, but they are disputing that the work they got is not the work they wanted. So it's mm. this weird... We sell something that's massively subjective. So we design you a logo, mm. we give you a name, we believe it's the best work we've ever done. They're sitting on the other side saying, I don't actually, you know, like, we don't like this. Um, and they've since rebranded or they've taken elements of our work and done other additional design on top of it. But they've used that as the reason to not kind of conclude our, our deal. But as far as we're concerned, we've delivered, you know, we took them through the process. They approved at all the right points, you know, so we've got a trail of approvals, sure. but at the end point they go, this is not what I ordered. So even if we did have terms, how does that protect you when they can say that this is not, not what I ordered and mm. we say that it is? Okay, so having um, milestones where, where certain sign-off is happening, that's acceptance, whether they like it or not. They can't then turn around and say, but I didn't accept it. Well, yes, you did. You signed that milestone as accepted. So it was accepted. It's not even open for argument. It was accepted. Further, what we always put in our terms and conditions is that there's no warranty of fitness for purpose. You can't guarantee a specific set of results, specifically around your industry where it's subjective and it's about you putting thoughts and ideas through to somebody else. Um, you're not going to guarantee a specific set of results. You're not going to warrant that it's going to fit their purpose. You're doing certain amount of design and creative work for them, which they sign off along the way. If they fail to stop you along the way, then unfortunately it is what it is. It's like baking a cake. If I don't put the eggs in halfway through, but I look at the mixture and I say, yes, it looks fine, and I put it in, I then can't say at the end, oh, well, you know, it's not really a cake because the eggs aren't in. And then uh, I suppose the last element of this fuck-up for us was that, uh, you know, just to break the mold of creative companies, we're not particularly good at our admin. So it took us a while to send the invoices, <laughs> and some of the invoices are mixed, so there's multiple quotes on a single invoice. So, so it wasn't done in the most um, elegant um, mm. of ways. Does that affect the, the outcome? You know, so, so if you've done your admin badly, does it no. necessarily no. allow them a, an out? No. no. What The only thing they could... Sp- Possibly say that's why you know if we if you get good terms and conditions in place we would ask you how your admin process is and we would build that in to the the terms and conditions so that you know what you're following and it's not contrary to what you normally do. Um, the worst that could happen is they could then say, well, we need the, these invoices to be split. We can't pay a portion of an invoice. We can only pay the whole of an invoice. Then you just split them. And then you would deal with specific parts of an invoice that, is, that are under dispute. Here it sounds like what they're doing is saying it's an indivisible service, so they can't pay for mm. a portion of it. They, and, they must pay for nothing or and, everything. And a, a good contract or terms and conditions would deal with divisibility of services. Yeah. And, and just on that, and I think this is important to highlight for our listeners, just because a contract hasn't been signed doesn't mean that there is no agreement in place. 
Uh, contracts are inherently partly oral, partly written. So there's always some elements of a contract that are agreed verbally. And even if you uh, have to take it a step further into the litigation space, you, you, would, you would deal with it that way. Even if it was, uh, there was a contract, there's always um, other elements that you have to deal with. So it doesn't mean that if you had no contract, the door is closed to you for any kind of recourse. Yeah, and an oral agreement, contrary to popular belief, is just as binding as a written agreement. The difficulty with it is it's hard to prove. It's your word against mine. That's why putting something in writing is paramount because then there's no dispute about it. Um, and also, even if you've just got it in emails, you know, it's it's been in the courts a lot that your email signature constitutes an electronic signature for the purposes of making an agreement. So... You know, even when you've had a meeting with somebody, it's good practice to just confirm it in an email. Just want to confirm the following, blah, 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 send it off, please acknowledge. That's added to your agreement. And then, so if they, so for example, they've used the, so we did a, a set of brands for them. So there was a mother brand and then there were five or six product brands underneath that. There's a few emails where she was using that logo stack that we'd created as her email signature, but then in the email was saying, I don't approve this work. We're not actually using this mm. work. I mean, I mean, that's absurd in the extreme. I mean, I think the, f the very fact that she was using it is acceptance in itself. So it's definitely th this, this situation that you're faced with is most certainly um, open for argument and open f in your favor, I would say. But as Natalie mentioned earlier, unfortunately, it's the way to resolve it often will end up in the courts. So that's why we say prevention is better than cure. And yes, it doesn't cover everything. But what we have found is that people, when there's a written agreement there and you point out this is what you've agreed to, they're far less likely to say no because then, it, then they're showing themselves to not be of their word, which they don't like. Here, they're not showing themselves to not be of their word because they don't feel they've agreed to anything. And if they argue back saying that your, the work you've created or the delay or whatever the reason has created damages for us, that we've lost revenue or we've lost... Well, they must prove that. Mm. I mean, you, you, can, you can always tell somebody you're going to claim damages. Um, you've always got that option, but you have to prove it. You can't just thumb suck a figure and say, well, you know, I feel like you've cost me 100,000 rand. Okay, but you must prove that I've cost you 100,000 rand. So damages is often a very scary word thrown around when people talking about a disagreement or you haven't paid me, yeah, but I've suffered damages. Yeah, but damages have to be proved, like really proved. Invoices show the loss of revenue. And loss of revenue is hard to show. How, how are you going to show that? So, I mean, would you, would you, guarantee, would you recommend clients go for oral or um, for, for written? Definitely written. Um, and I would specifically in your industry tell clients to go for terms and conditions that are built into your CE's quotes and website so that people don't have to sign it. So you're not frightening away your potential clients with these heavy, hefty legal agreements. However, that being said, if it is a very big deal, then um, you should go for oral. Then you should go for oral and written. <laughs> No, if it's a very big <laughs> client, you should go for... Oh, God, okay. Offsides, bro. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you deal with small children um, when, when adults <laughs> behave like small children in the legal um, world? Most adults behave like small children when there is a dispute. Yeah, in fact, yeah. all adults behave like small children when there's a dispute. Yeah. So that's why we say, you know, like small children, if they know what the rules are, they don't fight them. Um, or they're less likely to fight them. If there's no rules, then there's argument about whether I was ever allowed to do something. So in the same way, in, in the world of adult business, 
rules need to be put down. <laughs> okay, so I think we'll wrap up Ross's um, legal surprise butt sex issue that he had there <laughs> from his cut. Um, thanks, Ross, for sharing that with, uh, with our listeners. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Welcome back to The Pinch, hosted by Concilium with Natalie and Lucy. Uh, this is our legal fuck-ups episode, and we have here with us one of our longest-standing clients Mike, and a great friend, Mike Stopforth, who's the CEO of Cerebra. Hi, Hi Mike. Mike. Hi, ladies. Thanks for having me on the show. Mike, as you know, we are going to be talking about legal fuck-ups, and I don't know if you've made any ever because we've, been, we've known each other for such a long time, mostly. But is there any standout experiences that you could share with our listeners that have just really been something that you could talk about and we can talk to? And you've learned from and perhaps knowing what you know now would have done things differently. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be on the show and to get straight into a chronicle of my failures. <laughs> um, so... So the reason we met in the first place, I think, was a direct result of, um, or at least one of the consequences of, uh, a, a legal challenge that we faced as a small business. And I guess the background to that is that um, the, the legal agenda is never really a priority or a consideration for an organization until it is, right? Until mm. you have an issue. So it's a, li- it's a little bit like insurance in that, in that sense. You don't really think about it until you really need to think about it and we, we were faced with that kind of so like any small business we started and 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 we were lucky to have some great clients and we grew relatively quickly but because I didn't have the best business acumen to start off with I didn't really think about that kind of rigor up front so so one of the first things we did was look for legal partners uh, to help with uh, um, documentation and contracts and so on and so forth and as you know, we, we had a partner before we worked with you guys. And, uh, and yeah, one of the challenges there was, was finding somebody who understood how we worked and my personality as an entrepreneur and my appetite for risk. Because I guess not all clients are the same and not all lawyers mm. are the same. Yeah. So that was the, the starting point. You, you could feel free to jump in at any point in time, and then I'll get uh, back oh. into the That was a compliment, ladies. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Okay, cool. <laughs> the thing with sounds, that's amazing. This is what happens when you give a compliment that spanners everything. Yeah, sorry. All right, cool. So, sorry. So. Uh, okay, sorry. Sorry, Mike. I've been... The I've been flustered by your your compliment here. It's Lucy's gobsmacked. She can't even talk. Um, so <laughs> I know you you mentioned to me that you wanted to speak about a, an issue with, I think, an ex-client now. <laughs> Yeah, so, social I mean, media. I can talk about that, that quite specifically because I guess we, we were kind of navigating our way through what it meant to be a small business and have this relationship with with, uh, with a legal partner. And then and then it suddenly became very important because what happened was we were dealing with a, a consumer goods a client, great client, very excited about working with them, had a great relationship with them, launching a new, uh, a new product. Um, and around about the same time where kind of uh, phablets were becoming a thing, right? Like mm-hmm. the sort of the new um, entry of, of sort of between notepads and phones. We had like tablets. Tablets are amazing. And um, one of our staff members who is uh, a, a bit of a bit of a nerd and a real fan of technology went to go and have a look at this new prototype um, uh, product that was at their offices locally, uh, took a photo of the product uh, and posted it to their Twitter account. 
she asked permission to do so and uh, was given permission by the local uh, marketing manager. And we got a call about three hours later from Global saying, what have you done? You've just preempted our entire launch campaign. Oh. Uh, that's the first image of this thing that's gone live. It was basically like a leak. And to cut a very long story short, um, landed us in some serious legal hot water. So a couple of big lessons that we learned out of it in retrospect, because I'll fast forward. The good news is that, that we, we managed to navigate our way through that challenge because there was video evidence, believe it or not. That's where it got to, got to video evidence, oh. proving that um, the staff member had had a conversation with the marketing manager and that they had given uh, permission Content. or the thumbs up or whatever oh, it was. Right. Um, but I realized a couple of things. Uh, number one, I realized that... Um, one of the challenges when it comes to facing legal uh, uh, legal hiccups in business is is not pretending that it's not important enough to know what's going on. So a lot of entrepreneurs don't take the time and energy to actually read the documentation, to mm. understand the intricacies of the problem that they're facing. And because it feels complicated and because it feels uh, uh, difficult, we tend to absolve or kind of abdicate uh, the responsibility mm. for understanding the situation. And understanding the situation comprehensively is is critically important, even if you have a great lawyer. Um, mm. So, so that was one of the first things I learned. Uh, the other thing is is that um, uh, you know taking accountability for the decision and understanding the levers uh, in 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 that particular problem. So, we were immediately very intimidated by their their internal legal counsel, who knew that we were a small business and a partner that relied heavily on them, and they put a lot of pressure on us. Um, kind of scare tactics and whatever, mm. but because we knew the facts of the situation, because we knew the the levers, we were able to kind of have a reasonable. I'll never forget this person walked in and um, she had a, a a very fancy handbag and looked legitimate. And, and she like she basically said, "Hi there, this is my name. Graduated from Harvard three years ago." That was how she introduced herself, and I was like, <laughs> "You're." A lot smarter than me, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. But it was all about. It was all about. One of us. Yeah. That's one of us. <laughs> so so so. Anyways, so so that uh, you know, we learned. But what it did mean was that right from the, the early stages of running our business, being legally compliant, but also being legally fit, became a big deal for us. It was a priority from from day one. Uh, our partnership with that lawyer who kind of bailed us out of that particular issue ended um, shortly after that, and mostly because I think he and I just had kind of different uh, a different set of expectations around what I wanted to achieve with the business from a risk appetite perspective, and that's where I met you lovely ladies. And um, I think, you know, from a small business perspective, finding partners in the legal space that are experienced enough and... Uh, um, good enough, I guess, to really help you, but at the same time where you don't have to feel like you have to contract with an enormous firm, it's really tough to find. So finding that kind of middle ground with you guys was incredible. We got all the benefits of dealing with a big firm without necessarily having to pay that much money. <laughs> Not cheap, but, you know, reasonable. Uh, no, and I, and I think that was, that, was a really good, that was a really good find. And I mean, that, that stood the test of time. We worked together for six or seven years. So, mm. yeah. yeah. And you helped us do our deal, which was huge and nerve-wracking and an emotional roller coaster. So you guys have been a huge part of what makes us us. Great. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Thanks for the compliment. Mike. And I think also what, um, 
what we've been able to do with your business and, and some of our clients is really get involved in how you do things and, and the way you like to run your business and be involved with the staff so that we can kind of assist you to make sure that everybody knows their confidentiality obligations, people understand the way you do work and what pitfalls lay with particular customers and, and clients that you have. And I think that's gone a long way to kind of letting everybody in your business know to swim within certain lines, mm. freedom, but to swim within certain lines. And I think that's been a benefit for us to see how you guys have grown and the, the in intricacies of your business and how we've able, been able to navigate that with you. So if you're in a legal pinch of your own and would like some practical and professional legal advice, check us out at conciliumlegal.co.za or drop us a line at info at conciliumlegal.co.za.